Before we go into the podcast, I want to just talk about a business that I've set up with my friend George. Uh, it is called the Podcast Introduction Group. So if you want to join and be able to be featured on 24 to 48 pods, podcasts to be able to reach an amazing audience, this is the place you need to go to. Podcast being a guest on podcasts is automatically establishing you as an authority and is able to build your personal and professional brand. We handpick of a bank of podcasters that we have to be able to grow your business and brand. We do a hundred percent of everything that needs to be done by my team. You do not need to lift a finger. You are able to expose yourself to new and relevant markets by going on other people's podcasts. You also are able to create brand loyalty. People will love listening to you and coming back to your products or services, and it's able to increase your revenue. So if you want to be able to get involved, you can sign up quickly registered with a with an account manager there's an onboarding call where we target the podcasts that you want to be on the type that you want whether it's entrepreneurship business health fitness whatever it is we then match you to those podcasts and you can start your journey we have regular catch-ups with our account managers and google ranks you when people search for you so when people are searching for you you're able to see your podcast at the top of the list. So if you are interested in being a podcast guest on multiple podcasts, we are the place to go. If you go to podcastintroduction.com and go and register your details, we will have an, a, a quick call with you, uh, match your, your podcast that you want to be on, and we can then start this process ASAP. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Back onto the podcast then. Just one last thing before we go into the podcast, I just wanted to talk to you about the fact that I have a YouTube channel that has been going for quite some time and I am recording and releasing all of my interviews with some short videos as well on YouTube. So please do check it out, YouTube on Absolute Business Mindset. You'll see a bunch of interviews there, all the longer format interviews and some short videos as well. So please enjoy that. And here goes with the podcast interview. Today, we have Barry Rutten, who is a partner, co-founder and co-owner of Wealth Defence Financial Advisors. Hello, Barry. How are you today? Good afternoon. How are things over in London? We are doing all right. We've had a bit of a turmoil with the Queen's death and it's it's rocked a, quite a lot of people on there. But we are, I definitely feel there's, there's a bit more optimism now that's sort of coming after that the weekend that we had. Uh, but yeah, no, all good in London. It's a sunny day, which is rare, but... It's it's a good day in London. I feel I feel bad. I really like the Queen. Uh, yeah, I, I yeah. thought she was. I thought she was a classy, tough lady who really understood service. You know, public service and for the people, and and uh, at the same time, really try to maintain a real family. And in in which I would imagine is difficult being a royal and all the craziness that goes with that. So uh, I felt really bad. I, I I mean, I knew it was coming at some point. Yeah, but uh, you know, like most people, she's the only one. I've ever known. Ever known. Yeah, yeah. For, for most people's lives, it's the only her, her continuity throughout. You know, all these decades has been the sort of the one constant in the world. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, first question. The podcast is called Absolute Business Mindset. What What does business mindset mean to you? That's a great question. I think that from a, I believe the purpose of business 
is to extract as much money out of the business while doing what the business does as best as possible. So one comes before the other, right? That you have to execute your business in an optimal fashion to maximize the revenue opportunities. But I don't think that the role of a business owner is to pour their guts and soul into it without getting back the benefits of business, which I think are time independence and ultimately uh, wealth building and and capturing a good portion of the income, a good portion of the revenue after expenses and storing that somewhere so that it eventually replaces your labor hours and you essentially have a sort of a passive income future and you can work as much or as little as you as you want. But I, I think that the revenue side is driven by doing <clears throat> your your role, your task uh, exceptionally well. Uh, I think there's too much mediocrity out there, too much um, just good enough uh, uh, and not enough focus on what the, the customer or client experiences. So I think a lot of businesses tend to underperform because of that. Yeah, absolutely. And and you said something interesting there about wealth creation and, and wealth legacy. Do you, from your uh, your businesses, do you invest in assets? Do you invest in property, real estate or anything like that? Have you put your money to other things? Well, for you know both myself and my clients, I I believe in a very simple principle that I learned when I was you know in my twenties from you know other people, which is um, I want to get paid. Uh, uh, I think that that you know there's really only two things you can do with money: you can loan or you can own, right? Like I can give somebody my money, and that could be a, a, a you know a government bond, a corporate bond, a uh, you know, loaning money to a real, to, you know, real estate investor, like a property flipper or something. Yeah. How much do I get paid for the use of my money? Yeah. Or I can own, I can own stocks. I could own uh, real estate. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the, uh, what some people tend to call the greater fool theory, which is I buy something for X and somebody down the road is going to pay me more than X for it. Uh, that's kind of the growth model. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe the idea is a well-run business, like a well-run corporation, uh, is worth more money over time because they make more money over time. I want to be paid while I'm waiting for that increase in value to happen. And so in, in stocks, I believe in dividends, uh, you know, getting paid because you can't fake dividends. Dividends is real money. It's not like earnings. Remember Enron, like had a lot of earnings, which is kind of this nebulous idea, but where's the cash? Right. I can fake the earnings on the balance sheet, but I can't fake dividends because it's real money and real checks. Yeah. Uh, in real estate, um, I like, you know, things like REITs, or real estate investment trusts, um, yeah. uh, limited partnerships, thing, uh, things that pay me money. So it might be uh, a grocery store anchored commercial property. Well, no matter what happens in the economy, people still need to eat. They need to buy groceries. Absolutely. Um, I like things. And this is not, by the way, this is not investment advice. Um, but I like um, uh, what are called midstream energy but pipelines, uh, like the transport oil and gas. They have like 20 and 30 year contracts. The value of those companies may fluctuate a little bit, but they're getting paid every day by you know by big oil and gas companies to mm-hmm. transport their product. They're not making it. They're not extracting it out of the ground. They're not selling it. They're just the middleman. It's called midstream. Uh, but that business makes total sense to me. Kind of that Warren Buffett idea of invest in stuff you understand. Well, yeah. I understand grocery stores. I understand pipelines. There's an end and a, you know a beginning. Yeah. And stuff flows through it, and I get paid because it flows through. You know, so 
I just think it's a good idea to get paid while you're waiting for something to increase in in value because then I have cash flow to either spend or reinvest. It's interesting. I was listening to a, something by Robert Kiyosaki from Rich Dad Poor Dad, and he said recently he's bought a um, a Wagyu beef bull, and he's now <laughs> impregnating to be able to produce Wagyu beef. And he's like, it's a premium beef. It's what a lot of Americans want at, at certain high-level restaurants. I understand the business model. And so I've bought a bull and we're, we're running the business. And I really like those types of businesses where there's a product or service that you can contribute to somebody that, that's either bettering their business or something that's tangible, that's, that's easy that you can see that either grows in value or the business grows in value that gives you, as you say, dividends or asset increases and, and you can pull money out at that time. I think that well, like- earlier in my career, you know, I, I, for, I forgot one great example. Um, lumber, trees, this is like the best business in the world. You have a piece of land, you plant trees, the trees grow on their own with sunshine and rain. You don't yep. do anything. Yep. At some point, you cut down a certain number of the trees, you sell that, and then you replant trees in the same spot, and you sort of rotate this crop. And it, it, it never, you know, no matter what we say about digital files and scanning, we seem to keep using paper. Mm. Um, I don't have any employees. I have very little overhead. Um, so, but but the idea that that these are literally little cash cows you talk about robert kiyosaki's cow (laughs) these are little cash cows but you know they have leaves on them um i just think that sometimes everybody's enamored with this get rich quick you know i'm gonna buy buy the next facebook or whatever amazon um and and i think things that are more frankly just understandable and and you know businesses that are kind of timeless um is probably a better place for more people uh I, i think it's okay to be a little bit speculative with a little piece to your money just because it's fun and interesting and, mm-hmm. you know, gets you what my thing do today. But, but, you know, for real long-term wealth and success, get paid, get paid for giving people your money and using your money, whether it's on the lending side or the owning side. Absolutely. So you've been a certified financial planner for 35 years. Now, now I feel old. Well, <laughs> you can see that you might feel old or you can see that you've got a great deal of experience and wisdom, which I want to tap yeah. into. What would you say is the biggest mistake that you've made in those 35 years and the biggest mistake that a client's made and you've probably had to try and resolve it in some in some capacity as your role? Well, I think for one, not eating my own cooking early enough. Um, you know, when I was new in my career and didn't have tons of, uh, you know, money and to, to do anything with, um, I, I, f- I think I, I did one thing well, which was, I was always a big fan of the emergency fund, right? This cash reserve. And I started out really small, you know, doing $50 a month kind of thing from, uh, from income. And I really advised everyone I spoke to, I said, please do this first before you do anything else. Cause it's really your your safety net. And then as I made more money over time, I'd set more money aside and it, it eventually built up to be a really substantial amount of money. I felt more and more and more secure. The flip side was I knew that investing in like things we were just talking about, that modest amounts of money compounded over long periods of time really built wealth. I probably didn't do enough early in my career. I probably didn't use time to my advantage. And so when I talk to clients, uh, because of that perspective of time being the most critical factor in 
investment success, for example, I try to, I encourage them to get their children. They're, they're literally their babies uh, started on some kind of wealth building program. You know, there's several different ways to do that, but you know, 50, a hundred, dollars a month compounded for the first 30 years of someone's life. You know, we tend to wait till we're 30 and, and our third job before we start saving any money, we've wasted three decades of compounding and we've shaved off millions of dollars off the other end because uh, we didn't start soon enough. So I think really understanding the power of compound interest and in time. Uh, and it's not so much about how much you contribute. It's about how long you contribute. And so I think um, I didn't have money oriented or money focused parents. And then there were no YouTube money podcasts uh, 35 years ago. I, I see a lot of younger people now doing some really sharp, smart things because they're exposed to these ideas earlier. Yep. Uh, I just wasn't in that environment because of my family background. And so I think maybe the smartest thing before you even get into, um, you know, where to put money is to become educated, to become aware of some, some fundamental money principles and then stick to that uh, over the long haul. And I think the other thing is I've been probably guilty as much as, anybody about, you know, maybe making some emotional decisions, uh, you know, maybe moving in and out of things a little too frequently in the past. And, um, you know, they say that, you know, the market has done X, you know, whatever that is, maybe let's say 10% uh, over the long haul. Well, that's the market. The the investor has done like three or 4%. Why? Because they're in and out, in and out. And there's all this very clear data that says if you miss, you know, the top 40 days in a year, you, you've missed most of what's going to happen. And, and so, but that's really hard. I mean, in the face of, you know, here we are in 2022 in the fall and, and, you know, things are kind of bleak looking and recession yeah. talks and yeah. all kinds of problems around the world. And it, it's very hard to be brave when you open up an account statement and it's like things are down. And so the other side of this is to make sure that you have certain uh, assets and resources and plans in place that don't get decimated when there's the short term dips and realize that, you know, over the long haul, things smooth out. But in the short term, you need some things that you can feel are, are positive and not going negative so that you don't feel so scared, really. I think emo emotions are the biggest danger in yeah. all this stuff. We're, we're just emotional creatures. I think when I was reading uh, about you, you described yourself as contrarian. Can you <laughs> yeah. just uh, explain to my listeners, they might not be aware of the term, what a contrarian is and why you believe in it as a, as a financial strategy. Yeah. So contrarian, contrary, opposite to, uh, to conventional wisdom or conventional thinking, because I, I believe that a lot of the conventional wisdom, and I'm, if for those of you who are just listening, I'm doing that in air quotes, the conventional wisdom, uh, doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And when you look deep at the history of the source of the wisdom, you find that maybe there's a more nefarious thing going on there. So, uh, you know, they, they talk about, you know, got to start your day with a great breakfast. That was, that came from an advertising promotion from oh, cereal yeah. companies yeah, yeah, yeah. who wanted to sell more breakfast cereal, right? Yeah. Um, you know, milk does a body good. That was a slogan for advertising milk. Well, it actually technically doesn't, uh, uh, animal protein is inflammatory to the human body. A lot of people can't digest milk. The acidity of, of cow's milk actually leaches calcium from your bones. So it's supposed to build your bones, but actually it takes calcium out of your bones. 
but we we were we were indoctrinated with this slogan and that's what we believe well the same thing is true in in a lot of things related to you know financial planning um so for example in the US we and probably in, in you, you probably have some kind of tax deferred program in England as well might have a different name people here we know of like 401k's and things yeah. like that IRAs um well the government's really smart they're like hey sure defer some money you know take some pre-tax money out of your check set it aside for 30 years let it compound oh yeah and when you take it out it's all 100% taxable mm-hmm. the government loves those things mm-hmm. so they give you this little eyedropper of tax savings now where you're not paying tax on a contribution dollar mm-hmm. because they know they're going to get 100% of it fully taxable at some unknown rate which may be higher in the future right higher tax rate they're going to get 100% of that money on trillions of dollars fully taxable well a contrarian said well maybe you should contribute after tax dollars to things that allow you to distribute money tax free and there are several ways to do that and yeah. so that's a good example of don't just accept the programming and i'm not being conspiracy theorist here but well, yeah, don't don't, don't yeah. just accept the message on face value so what something that's happening in the uk um people that have large pensions pension pots um it's all based on stock market so they invest from their corporate careers and they invest for 20 30 40 years and um and what people are doing now is with large pension pots they are what is called a SAS, and I can't remember what SAS stands for, but essentially it's using your pension pot as a bank, as an investment for property developers. And you're you're able to invest in property development deals and you can get development finance as well as using your SAS pension. And people are joining together, creating a really big pot that's being used for development sites. And 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 I think that's something that in the UK has been massively impactful for people to take take a little bit of ownership of their future and actually use that money for creation, like creating a building, flats or an office block or whatever. Um, and then people have found that really, really useful. I know some of my listeners have, have used SAS pensions uh, as a really uh, important uh, sort of product to be able to a, learn new skills. They learn a bit about the construction industry, which they didn't know before. B, they get a really good return and they will either sell it or they'll either rent it or whatever the, the strategy is. Um, that's something that's happened in the UK. Is there anything in the US that sort of leverages you can use your pension pot for other things. Yeah, it's interesting because you don't necessarily have to use your... uh, So in the U.S., pensions tend to be um, what are called defined benefit pensions. It's just they promise you a certain check and you have no involvement or control over the lump sum. Yep. And so on, on in that respect, what we talk to people about is what's called pension income maximization where instead of taking what's called a joint and survivor payout, like for you and a spouse, what we'll do is give you a maximum single life option. We'll take the maximum payment. Because if you take a pension and divide it across two people's lives, Mm. the payment necessarily has to be lower to cover the life expectancy of two people. Mm. So we'll have them choose the single life option. But the planning piece is to have um, life insurance to replace that pension payment should the main pensioner pass away. And oftentimes we can give that person a better payout 
had they taken the the joint life. On the lending side, we actually do something uh, all the time, which is really, really creative. We'll actually use the cash value within a life insurance policy to do the same kind of lending arbitrage that you're talking about. But what's different there is once you remove the money from the pension, no matter how good the investment does, it's only based on that one uh, that one thing you're doing. The strategy we use here is we use the cash value as collateral, but the money's borrowed from life insurance company at a very small interest rate. And so your pot of money continues to grow in compound. So let's say that's growing and compounding at four or six percent. Mm. And now I lend it out to a real estate investment like you described. Yeah. And maybe my cash on cash return is 25% after that deal closes. So now I'm double dipping yeah. and I repay that loan and then I can recycle it and do it again and again and again. And this is a strategy we do uh, uh, all the time. So I totally agree with the um, the, the strategy. Uh, and we can do that in um, all kinds of different ways and, and different stripes and such. But for a lot of people, uh, when you're doing it, when you're earning money on the, the funds that are actually you're using to investing, there's no opportunity cost, right? Because money often can only do one thing. And here in this case, it can do two things. And so that's really, uh, really cool. Uh, and again, you're, you're not removing the money. So it's continuing to compound, not breaking up compound interest is really important. Yeah. Because yeah. as yeah. soon as you stop it, the compounding part stops. Um, so it's a way to kind of double dip. So that's kind of a cool, a cool idea, but I totally agree with you. Um, that, you know, be, then there's a lot of different ways to invest in real estate, uh, whether that's, you know, rentals or commercial property or, or whatever, um, that, um, you know, it, it over time has proven to be fairly, uh, fairly recession proof or recession resistant. And it depends what you're investing in. But uh, again, I like to invest, you know, people aren't going to like leave their apartment because the economy's down. People are not going to stop shopping at grocery stores. Now, the, the commercial properties where there's like malls or office buildings, things those can sometimes be a little bit tricky right that that oh the vacancy rates are high or you know uh, businesses close down so you got to really be careful there so i've built a business of of uh, i'm a landlord uh for a small portfolio in london and um yeah i i pride myself on only providing those properties for families um it was something when i i inherited a property and then i leveraged it to buy other properties and for me, it was really important to to make sure that families were benefiting from from my um, from from me being a landlord, an incidental landlord. And I thought I would build that uh, as part of it. And it just it's it's very interesting. I was listening to something about it wasn't a Warren Buffett talking, but something about Melinda Gates was talking about Warren Buffett and saying that the values that are so important to him as an investor. Like he won't short on companies. He will invest in them long-term because he wants to see a long-term growth. Uh, How does values fit into investment strategies for you? We'll be back after a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube 
Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. You know, this is one where I think people really uh, justifiably struggle. Um, So if you don't believe that you should invest in things like oil or tobacco or firearms manufacturing, the the investment world has responded with investments that you know promise not to put uh, money there. The the the, the struggle is, uh, you know, they sell a lot of tobacco around the world and makes a lot of money. Uh, you know, they sell a lot of sugary soft drinks. You know, Warren Warren Buffett owns a lot of Coca Cola. Yep. You know, there's 12 teaspoons of sugar in a one can of Coke. Yep. You know, is that is that a good thing for people to do? Maybe not, but it makes a lot of money. Uh, you know. Burning fossil fuels creates carbon dioxide, global warming, big storms, very dangerous, rising sea levels, but it makes a lot of money. So so I think you have to decide uh, where your values lie and 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 follow that. If you if that bothers you, did you think it, it's perpetuating these uh, these industries, then there are other newer technologies that you can invest in or yep. uh, you know alternatives. But I, I I think that's a personal decision. I try not to influence that too much, but I really share what I just shared with you. And your listeners, which is the perspective of it. What's really interesting, if you'd like to look at the back of a, a, a prospectus or annual report for, say, a, a mutual fund, widely diversified mutual fund, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of different industries. And within those industry classifications, there's dozens and dozens of different companies, both U.S. and international, mm. uh, and a lot of stuff that you haven't heard of, right? So, you know, you might be familiar with Hershey's chocolate in the U.S., but there's Nestle's, you know, in Europe, and you might be familiar with uh company a in the u.s and it has a counterpart somewhere internationally um the same is true there that they're like if you don't believe in investing in oil uh well water is kind of important there's ways to buy you know water if you believe in electricity you can buy utility companies and so you're still profiting from these um you know close to monopoly type businesses uh that cash flow a lot of money and you're not going to miss out. I mean, you you could own a portfolio of utilities and do really really well. They're they're somewhat boring on the growth side, but everybody pays their electric bill. So again, if you want to get paid, I don't you know I don't have any any real problem with that. So, but but I I agree with you that there's a a big push right now really to decide how valid the you know this sort of environmentally based investing and this has been going on i mean i i've been doing this for like you said 35 years there were socially responsible mutual funds back when i started the business this is not a new thing i think people think it's new Mm. it's not new it's been around forever interesting um so you are you spend quite a bit of time coaching other businesses and you as you said before we started recording that you do trainings for people so who are, who are you targeting? What what type of business owners? What type of people are you looking to to help with your coaching side? So the coaching side of my business is predominantly for other financial advisors. It's something I do for two reasons: one, to, to give back to the industry that has taken very good care of me, uh, and because I didn't have access to anything like that when I started, and I I struggled and and needed to find my way, and and I think I found some sort of unique things to share with other advisors and it's really nothing to do with the technical side of the business although some of that does come up in conversation it's the human side of the business and i think this is where a lot of 
other, uh, you know, insurance and financial advisors really struggle with is how to engage with your clients and create a collaborative, cooperative relationship um, instead of this kind of combative uh, relationship that ends up being uh, the result of uh, people sometimes just leading with solutions first before they really understand what the person uh, really needs. And so it's it's a lot about the human communication side, the 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 psychology and physiology of people's uh, you know, emotions and how they process information uh, is just something that's always fascinated with fascinated me in my own practice. And I found that a lot of people were struggling with it. I'm, I'm somewhat of a, I guess I'd call it a, some people call me a wordsmith. Some people call me a language nerd. Uh, I'm very fascinated by the power of language and, and word choice. I'll give you a simple example. Um, it might be common to say, let's say we were thinking about, um, uh, your home being uh, foreclosed on. Okay. Right. So somebody might casually say, well, you know, you could lose your home to foreclosure. Mm. You can't lose a house. It's a really big object attached to the ground. Mm. Okay? You lose your keys, right? You misplace your right. keys. You don't misplace your house. It's right there. But you can have your house taken away from you because the bank says we want our collateral back because you didn't make your mortgage payments. So I would coach someone to say, you know, don't say lose your house because it introduces the idea of that it's somehow sort of this accidental thing. Right. But in fact, it's both a, an identifiable risk and very preventable with a properly structured foreclosure prevention plan. Um, I tend to think about language um, where, so the corollary to foreclosure for someone who rents is eviction, right? Um, and so we're, we we don't want people to um, be subject to identifiable risks because fundamentally it starts with preventing the preventable, right? These things are not unknown. Uh, they are all known. And so um, we, we try and make sure that people are sort of honest with themselves and and really spend the time to think through the impacts and consequences of um what could happen if you haven't properly planned? And then at the same time, on that's sort of the avoid financial loss side, on the achieve financial success side, get really, really clear on what that means. So that's what I tend to coach um, uh, my, my, my peer advisors on. For clients, uh, I pretty much do the same thing. It's just more, more direct uh, because I really do think the world has made financial planning you know, far too complex and people get overwhelmed by it and intimidated by it and then they don't do anything. And so I, I start out with this premise that we really only have two goals, avoid financial loss in all its forms. Don't suffer a needless setback, which could put you back financially a decade or more that you have to recover from because we don't have unlimited time. So be smart about that. Be mature about that. Don't complain about things like insurance premiums. They're just a necessary part of dealing with the world that's an imperfect place on the achieve success side get really clear on what that actually looks like and what it actually means um so for example uh, the word retirement um back of not that long ago the concept of retirement did not exist you worked till you died mm -hmm. because life expectancy was not that long mm -hmm. uh and even when they established like say the social security system in the u.s um uh, after the the great depression they set the social security retirement age at 65. Well, life expectancy was like 67. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't expect to pay out for very long. I think today with the options we have and 
what the internet affords us and sort of an information economy and things, I think there are uh, a lot of people redefining what this term retirement even means. I think in the fundamental uh, analysis, retirement is simply that point in time when you have accumulated enough assets that generate sufficient income that work becomes optional. And then you have the ability to choose what you do with your time uh, and whether that's compensated or not, right? Volunteer or paid. Uh, maybe you were a, you know, a, a seven figure earner in your, in your corporation or your business, but now you are, uh, volunteering or teaching or coaching or, or something like that. Um, I think for business owners, uh, I think they have a lot of what I call blind spots. Uh, there are a lot of things that go into running a business and it's all consuming, right? You know that. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is they, they are not spending enough time um, on, on some of the very fundamental mechanics and they're not taking advantage of things, uh, that are unique to businesses, things like that are in the tax code that are unique to businesses. Um, and so what ends up happening is the business consumes them and their time. And then when it comes time to say, sell the business, they haven't done the proper planning, uh, and they could possibly miss out on, or not even have available to them the option of retiring. So, um, I, what I try and do with my business owner clients is point out these blind spots, uh, and then deal with them, close them, <laughs> eliminate them. Do you think tax is a moral issue that we should all, that paying the most, not the most amount of tax, but the right amount of tax is a moral issue? Or do you think it is a, an issue, a financial issue? And if you save money through taxes, that's absolutely fine as well. Yeah, there's a famous quote from a, a Supreme Court judge in the United States that, um, you know, tax uh, evasion is a crime and tax avoidance is not only legal, but should be sought uh, sought out and, and applied, meaning everything that's legally available, you should pursue and that overpaying in taxes is, is not required. <laughs> it's kind of silly. Uh, there's a lot in the tax code, the, the US, probably in the UK, yeah, yeah. Uh, hard to know at all. Absolutely. Uh, and on the sort of the moral side of it, you know, I think we all feel that if the people who are in a taxing authority position use the money prudently, I don't think we would have too much trouble with it. But when we see so much waste, uh, you know, in the U.S., there's so many, you know, studies of the mating habits of a particular fly, you know, when there's, when there's potholes in the road, you know. I believe in in actually the social contract, and I took some philosophy classes in um, in college. And and you know, the social contract is we could all just run amok and do our own thing, but it's in our self interest to kind of band together and work cooperatively, right? Because I could drive my car any which way, any which direction, but it's pretty likely we're going to crash into each other. Mm-hmm. So stopping at stop signs, stopping at red lights, not a bad idea. Having lanes, yeah. <laughs> speed limits, things like that. Uh, it's a good idea, right? Um, some people chafe even at that, right? There should be no speed limits. They, well, we don't want to scrape your body off the road, right? It, it, it's a it just, you know, don't put all this extra burden on us. It's like drink uh, driving as well. I don't know what you're yeah, drunk driving, right? So I want to be able to drink and drive. Well, go, go to a field somewhere and do it. Stay off, stay <laughs> off the road. Um, so, so I think that, that I don't think most people have too much trouble with with taxes, but for example, for me, you know, our taxes keep going up predominantly our property taxes to fund the school system. Well, there's 
great things that teachers do and, and such, but there's a lot of waste in the school system. Mm. Um, there's a lot of waste of government. And so I, I feel that people should take advantage of the tax code. And remember that the tax code was written predominantly through the activities of special interests who wanted their interests represented in the tax code. And that's predominantly businesses and corporations. Individuals are not very organized. Mm. So the, the paycheck earning person tends to have the least tax advantages. So we really have to help them take advantage of the few things that are still available. Mm. Uh, businesses still have a lot of different opportunities. And so they have a, a, a broader palette of things they can, you know, paint that picture with, but I, I don't object to some taxes. I object when the, it really bothers me is when they're wasted. Um, and, or, oh yeah, we, we, um, like in, in the U S during COVID, there was a lot of fraud, uh, that, that took place. Mm. Um, you know, oh, 300 million, 500 million went, we don't know where to fraudsters. Mm. Um, uh, there was just a scam reveal where they, they, they stole money from what was supposed to go to like hungry children, you know, things like that. Um, so that's what bothers me about it. I, I don't have any big problem with it. I, I just don't like the fraud and the waste. Um, you know, we gave $500 billion to this other country, but nobody can account for where the money went. Well, mm -hmm. be nice if that money was back here doing stuff, you know, for us. So Absolutely. I think that's um, the issue. So we've talked about you being a financial advisor and your business in financial planning and wealth creation, but you also have a business in insurance as well. Why don't you just briefly tell me a little bit about the insurance business that you that you do as well? Well, I think that's what I was talking about before, that that I don't see it any differently. If I have, uh, you know, a $500,000 house or a $500,000 investment portfolio, the first responsibility is to make sure we don't lose money or we don't go backwards, right? So if my house burns down and I don't have fire insurance and I don't have a half a million dollars, Mm. to rebuild my house, I've got a problem. If my investment portfolio vaporizes because I made some bad decisions and I have to start all over again, mm. that's also really painful. So I have a um, a very simple philosophy, which is all risk is known. There are no surprises. Um, and so we only have unaddressed risk. So we just do a risk assessment. We just say, which things are these people exposed to, whether they're individuals or businesses, and understand the the nature of the risk first. H how much money can we stand to lose? Hmm. What existing resources exist in place now to address that? And is there any shortfall or gap? Hmm. And then just close the gap, but start with the big risks first, the really big, potentially devastating risks first. For example, all of our future income by far for most people, unless they're very late in their life, uh, is their largest asset. Like if you add up all their future cumulative income with raises and things, and yet most people walk around with with almost no uh, you know strategy for income replacement. Right? What is what is going to happen if you uh, should suffer a death, a disability, a job loss, interruption? And so we want to make sure that people protect their physical assets, things that can be lost, damaged, or stolen. Uh, their financial assets that can be taken away, say in a lawsuit, savings, investments, home equity. And then make sure they have a good income replacement plan. Uh, and then they're generally in a pretty good spot. And then we just kind of adjust that as their life changes. If they make more money, have another child, get into a bigger house, a bigger job, whatever. Um, and then try to have the philosophy. I think what, what, what bothers people about insurance is this idea of, well, if nothing bad happens, I've wasted the money. So that's one way to look at it. 
The other way to look at it is sort of at the end of your life, you look back and say, gosh, darn it, I wasted all that insurance premium. Nothing bad happened to me. And the guy next to you says, well, I paid the same premiums and nothing bad happened to me. What a great life I've had. I'm okay that my insurance premiums went to the poor people who had the fire, the death, the disability, et cetera. So I think it's just a matter of perspective. Yeah. Um, and, you know, hope, hoping that, you know, nothing bad happens is not a strategy. No. Um, and, you know, I, I'm just as not thrilled with paying insurance premiums as other people. Uh, but I, I, you know, I've, I've paid homeowners insurance, you know, fire insurance on my house for, you know, 30 years. I haven't had a fire. Good for me. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I haven't had a fire. The fact that, you know, can I, can I get those premiums back? No, but they went to some poor family who had a fire and lost everything. And I'm just not going to be frustrated by it. It just is what it is. Absolutely. Okay. We're coming to the end of the interview. I asked the same six questions to all of my guests. They're quick fire questions. They don't need a quick fire answer. First one is what's the best decision that you made in business? We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. In business, uh, we didn't talk too much about background, but I started out in law school uh, and pretty soon realized it really wasn't for me. It wasn't really a fit. I didn't feel it. And that was very tough, uh, especially on my poor mother. You know, she was hoping for my son, the lawyer, and didn't get it. Um, uh, but le leaving uh, the law and then pursuing financial planning by choice, this has been a much better, uh, much better career fit. And just in case my wife's listening, marrying my wife. Absolutely. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've been given? Stop caring about what other people think. Uh, which is very hard for a lot of us, especially in this era of social media. But uh, a very wise gentleman told me early in my career, um, if, if they're not paying your bills, the, their opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> I was like, that, that has really proven to be a very important little touchstone. Do they pay my bills? Nope. Okay, their, their opinion doesn't matter. Um, who's helped you most in your career? I had an early uh, manager. I was I was working for a financial planning firm, and um, he wasn't a very nice guy. He really wasn't all that helpful, but he said something to me that was so profound, um, which was, "You don't have to answer anyone's question when they ask it, and give them an answer that they expect." And it was like the literally the one thing he told me that was was so important, and I I found that to be so helpful, um, because we're not necessarily just these dispensers of information. Um, somebody might ask a question prematurely in a conversation, 
we, we want to unpack information in the right order in the right way. Hmm. And sometimes people kind of jump ahead and, and having the, I guess the professional poise to say, great question, but let's go back to the progress we were on and let's, let's bring that in when it makes sense. Hmm. Um, that was a really good piece of advice that I didn't probably understand then, but is really valuable now. Um, when I, when I'm working with my clients and, and it's a very, actually a very respectful thing. I know it might sound like we're just kind of holding people off, but our job, I think as financial advisors is to be, be a guide. And, and if you're going to be the guide, be the guide. It doesn't make sense to have the people you're guiding jump ahead of you. Uh, they don't have the machete, you know, to cut down the jungle in front. So, um, it was just really good advice and he, he doesn't know it because <laughs> the, for the rest of our relationship, we didn't like each other. <laughs> Do you have any regrets? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I, this is a personal thing more than a business thing. I, I've i moved around a little bit. I grew up in New York, um, lived in California. I've been in Washington State for, for a long time. Um, I'm, I'm somewhat envious of my friends that have been in one place their whole life. Um, I'm a boater. Uh, and so up here in the, in the, in the Washington and the Pacific Northwest, we have these great cruising rounds, the San Juan islands and things. And these people, their grandparents took them out on their boats and their parents took them out on their boats. And then they, they have boats themselves and their grandkids are now on their boats. And th they have this continuity of family and this continuity of friends that, you know, they've known these people since kindergarten. I don't really have that. I have one or two friends I've known since, uh, you know, my school days and they're, they're back on the East coast. And so, um, I wish I had more of that because I, I think it's a really grounding thing and a really comforting thing to say. I've had these friends for, you know, decades and decades and decades. And I'm, uh, I didn't have, I don't have a big family. My, my parents have passed. And, uh, so not having that big kind of family feel, uh, and, and the super long-term friends and the same consistency and the same geography, uh, sometimes can feel, um, kind of like, hmm, I feel sad about that. Oh, thank you for your honesty. I really appreciate that. Um, what are you most proud of? I really feel like I've maintained my own personal integrity throughout my own life. I really, um, I'm a very consistent person. It, people who are very, what I call mercurial, they're up, they're down, they're happy, they're sad, they're angry. They're, I'm, I'm pretty steady state. I try and be a pretty happy guy, uh, pretty e even keel. Uh, and I try and just treat people well and, and, um, I, I think there's two ways people work when they meet a new person. Some people are like, okay, you started zero and you have to earn your way up. Uh, I started a hundred and all you can do is lower your score. So, you know, like when I meet you, Mark, I, I just assume we're going to be lifelong friends. We may not be, uh, we may be partial friends or we may be, but I, I assume you're going to be like the perfect human being. And then if you, if you deviate from that, you know, we'll work on it. I just, I just think that's a more optimistic approach. And I think it's a more open and welcoming approach. And, um, you know, I'm pretty, pretty social person and I like people and I like interacting with people and, um, I'm, I'm extroverted, but private, if that makes sense. Um, and so I just want to, I'd rather have a few close relationships than tons of casual ones. I'd rather be to, six person dinner party than a party with 80 people. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of what came to mind. 
Um, what does legacy mean to you? Oh, I, I could do hours on legacy because legacy planning is a big part of my financial planning practice. I work with a lot of families and business owners about intergenerational wealth transfer, but but part of that is passing along your belief system. Mm-hmm. So it can be as simple as uh, I really encourage parents to have uh, things like guardianships established in their will to make sure their children are financially well taken care of. But at the same time, making sure you're capturing your feelings, your wishes, your beliefs, so that the actual guardian of your children ha- has a chance at, at at raising them with your same or similar beliefs, or at least they're known. Yeah. Um, and then I think uh, uh, legacy is about uh, influencing the next generation uh, or organization that you feel like. So people or organizations, right? So I, I want to help my family and friends but also organizations that you believe in their mission, their good work, whether that's social organizations, nonprofits. And so um, when we do estate planning, we we look at uh, uh, the legacy impact someone wants to have because you move throughout your life from trying to attain success to exerting and, and, and experiencing significance as you go to impact uh, the, the next generation and the other organizations that you believe in. Absolutely. Um, and where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Sure. Uh, website is simple. It's uh, wealthdefensegroup.com, wealthdefensegroup.com. And there's a little form on there that, you know, there's nothing on our website that refers to any products or strategies. We don't believe in that. It's it's more just conceptual and the types of plans and things people might want to look at and examine. Um, happy to talk to any of your listeners. And if I can be of service and help them, i uh, be happy to do so fantastic thank you so much for your time barry it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you have a lovely day i've enjoyed it as well mark thank you yes 